This is Psychic Warfare. Welcome back, my friends, to Psychic Warfare, the podcast where spirituality and philosophy collide with heavy metal and rock and roll. I am your host, Chris Keelick, and thank you for joining me once again on another journey into the lives and minds of the most iconic musicians in heavy music. Just as a reminder, if you enjoy the podcast and these conversations with the artists you love, it would mean the world if you subscribed and followed the podcast on your platform of choice. Also, you can follow me and the show at Pod on Twitter and at Psychic Warfare Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. So if you get a chance, follow the show there for updates and happenings on all things Psychic Warfare. This week, Jamila Bowden Azuz, vocalist of UK metalcore quintet Ithaca, who delivered one of my favorite heavy records of 2022 in the explosive, aching, and soul-delving They Fear Us. Totally unafraid to embrace and express their authenticity and power. If you are a fan of metalcore in literally any capacity, this record is a must-listen and a band that should absolutely and immediately enter your playlist. Outspoken against injustice, bigotry, racism, and other oppressions of our world, it is a total pleasure to have Jamila on the show today. Jamila, welcome to the Psychic Warfare Podcast, and it is a pleasure to have you here. Wow, what an intro. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was you're, amazing. You're absolutely <laughs> welcome. And again, I I will never stop taking the the praise that I get for my intros. It definitely makes me happy to hear people like my intros. So thank you very much. And I'll just start with asking, how are you feeling at this specific moment in time, mentally, physically, and spiritually? Wow, yeah. Uh, mentally, I feel okay. I don't know, like... That, that question always makes me laugh because I think if you, if you ask anyone that struggles with their mental health, like, how do you even answer that question? Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, some days are better than others. And I also, I think, like, particularly this week, really, I'm just so over the winter. You know, I'm same. so over the winter. Hard same, yeah. Yeah, I was, like, having this conversation yesterday, just being, like, with with my husband, just being, like, I feel really shit. And for for no reason at all. Right. And I know why, but it doesn't, but I still feel a bit shit. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. it was like, yeah. it was something really silly. Like I, yesterday I went to a hardware store <laughs> um, to buy some wood. Um, and it was a really like really nice, beautiful, nice, bright, sunny day for the first time in ages. And I went into, I was in the store for maybe like an hour and a half because I love hardware stores. It's like my comfort place. Wow. That is, uh, uh, that, you know what? I have all the respect in the world for you that, that that's your comfort place. Yeah. I like, I just like building shit. But you know, but there, like, is, there is something about it. I guess now that I'm thinking about it, I guess there is something kind of comforting about like, I mean, I'm not sure if you went to like a small store or like a big kind of like chain store. It's like, uh, it's like, yeah, it's called, uh, it's actually called Bauhaus. It's like a really big chain hardware store in Germany. Um, so it's a really big one and I really enjoy the walk there and like, there's, uh, there's something I find really comforting, just like, maybe it's like all the smells. I was going to say the smell. I was going to say the smell. Mm. It's like, it's like the, the hard and rubber smell kind of a little bit that you get in there. And like sawdust and paint and that sort of thing I really love that and like the kind of I don't know it particularly in this one it always feels like hardware stores kind of have like mood lighting <laughs> maybe because it's maybe because it's like a big warehouse you know it's yeah. not super bright there's no windows and stuff like that yeah 
maybe it's more wide um, open so you don't feel like so claustrophobic it's usually pretty like wide open for sure yeah and like in this particular hardware store i always see loads of really good dogs because do- like in germany you can take dogs into like any store oh. um there's always really cute dogs in Amazing. there <laughs> But yeah, anyway, I w- was in there for ages, just, you know, mooching around and like being a little sort of DIY goblin. Um, and I kept, by the time I came outside and I was done, it was like 4 p.m. and it was already pitch black outside. It was oh, dark again. The worst, and yeah. I, I felt my mood shift. Like I could feel it draining out of my body. Do you know what I mean? And like, yeah. I was hyper aware of it actually. And a lot of the times, you know, we cannot be aware of it and which is why I was sort of having this conversation just being like I could feel it happening to my body and I knew that that was the reason that I was feeling like mentally like I felt such a switch in my mood but even if you know the reason why sometimes it's still hard to like just because you're self-aware it doesn't mean it's easy to kind of pull yourself out of it I guess Mm. um but I just like I try and remind myself that like you know the the long really dark harsh brutal german winter will be over soon um because i yeah i'm i'm half english but i'm half algerian and i'm not i'm not built for the winter i'm not built for this weather at all i hate it (laughs) yeah no i i I had a similar moment i mean i have i've had that moment a lot mainly because i i have a day job where i just usually work from home or i'm in an office so Mm. you know i'm looking at a computer screen all day and then by the time i can like tear myself away from the computer screen at the end of the day it's already dark outside you know whereas i you know i want to like you know in the summertime i can just go out and sit on the porch and you know we can eat dinner my wife and i can eat dinner out on the porch in the beautiful sunshine and enjoy that and yeah can't do that right now so that's uh that's that's definitely been tough i definitely resonate on that side of things and i wanted to ask you you know you bring up you know you bring up that you're 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 half algerian i'm curious what was your spiritual mm. upbringing like you know did you grow up in a household that held a certain faith whether it was you know islamic faith or christian faith or otherwise you know was or was spirituality something that was personal and that you developed and discovered over time on your own or both um yeah i i was waiting for this question um, it's I don't think there's a there's a simple answer basically um and my upbringing in regards to spirituality and religion and stuff is quite complex and quite traumatic to be quite honest Mm. um being I will say just before you start like you don't have to talk about anything that you that you don't want to like I'm never gonna yeah of course thank you (laughs) no it's cool um I think it's one of those things where like I can talk about it in hindsight with it, it in a bit more of like a philosophical way, do you know what I mean? And, and view it differently now because I'm an adult now. But yeah, so I grew up in, in North London. Uh, my mum is English. Uh, she's from East London and my dad is from Algiers. So the North of Africa. Um, I mean, he's he's lived in England for like 30 years or something now, over 30 years actually. But my upbringing was uh, very conflicting Mm. and it was very difficult. Um, My dad was a strict practicing Muslim and um, I was growing up in in North London and religion was something that was imposed on me in a way that I think a lot of of people who have had a similar upbringing to me can probably relate to and probably sympathize with. and my dad very much wanted us to be 
good Muslim children. Um, and we weren't. We weren't at all. Like, we were not the, we were not the good Muslim children that he wanted because he married a white woman and we were brought up in North London. So, you know, and it's something that we we occasionally reminded him of. Like, if you wanted good Muslim kids, you should never have left Algeria, you know? Mm. And it was something that I think he found very, very hard to reconcile himself with. Um, that the outside influences um, that he didn't foresee, you know, being part of our upbringing and what shaped us into being people, he couldn't control. And he felt very out of control. Um, I, the flip side of it is that um, my mom was very lenient mm. and I I don't know what I would have done without her to be honest she did a lot of lying for me like a whole lot of bullshitting mm. for me so I could try and have what I thought was a normal childhood and teenage years right. and stuff like that um she was very cool she's she is very cool um shout out to mom but yeah shout out to mom um but there were times um there were times in my my upbringing and my childhood that things got quite traumatic and and quite abusive and my dad uh you know very much was a product product of his own upbringing in Algeria right and he tried his hardest to enforce his values and his belief on us and it didn't quite work you know and that was a massive frustration for him and um it was the cause of a lot of trouble at home um and it, it it's kind of one of those things like I grew up really really trying to distance myself from my ethnicity and that side of mm. myself and I made a very concerted effort to when I was growing up to whitewash myself as much as possible because of how I felt about my upbringing and, and what was going on at the time, you know, when I was a teenager and, you know, the, the way that I was viewed by my peers and the way I was viewed by my friends and kids at school, you know, I wasn't exempt from being bullied for that as well. And uh, I went to like a really, a really, really white school actually. Um, yeah. I went I'm to sure, a really white I'm... school. I'm sure that, you know, I'm not sure if you're close to the same age as me. I'm 29. Um, mm. But I mean, growing up, you know, I'm sure it wouldn't it would have been double not easy for you post 9-11 with a lot of Islamophobia kind of going around the world. Well, yeah. So I am 31. Yeah. And when 9-11 happened, I was 12, I think, or something like that. Um, so I was in year six, which is like the last year of elementary school here before you go to secondary school high school um, and when 9-11 happened I had to be taken out of school me and my brothers had to be taken out of school because um, there were parents who had children in my class that would that didn't want us in a class with them very that's we were very removed sad. from school yeah for like a month or something I don't know uh, until they eventually fucking got over it um, but yeah like and the thing is the weird thing is is like I went to the the sort of the primary school that I went to was very multicultural, you know. Right. I it was like a in quite a rough part of London, um, socioeconomically, and there were lots of immigrants there. So there were lots of Turkish kids and like uh, Somali kids and Kosovans and right. 
But, you know, when 9-11 happened, if you were Arab in any way, you were shit out of luck, basically. <laughs> it was rough. And what obviously that didn't have a great, great impact on how I saw myself either, I guess. Yeah, I would imagine so. Was, you know, that's a one of the old, one of the seminal paradigm shifts, you know, mm. morally in our country, I think, you know, from a political yeah. standpoint. At least, well, and the world. I'm not just like again. You're in you're in England. I'm over here in the United States, and mm. I, I was lucky. I mean, I can't relate to you in in the direct sense, but I'm part Lebanese. I have a oh, wow. Lebanese heritage. So again, I, I don't I don't look. I share a lot of my father's kind of looks, I guess, from his mm. side, the, the Polish the, the Polish German side. But um, <laughs> so I guess after that, I, I I didn't receive like any sort of my family, and I didn't receive as as much like blowback or anything like that so I got lucky in that regard but I can only imagine just how difficult it was for you and it's very sad I'm very sorry that you went through that experience and that 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 happened to you yeah I mean some of the um I can't remember the exact details but at least one of the the men who who carried out the attacks on September the 11th uh went to the same mosque as my dad wow they were part of the oh same mosque yeah uh Finsbury Park in London, which that area has a huge, people call it a little Algeria because it has a huge Algerian population. Oh, okay. It's like the main, the main spot in London. Um, and they were part of the same mosque, which is just mind blowing, you that know, mind blowing, but it was it definitely, so it wasn't it, things, things weren't easy and there was turmoil, but at what point, mm. what point do you think that, I mean, it seems like it was starting, the seeds were there early on and partly thanks to your mother too, but when were you really kind of like, okay, I found something that really resonates with me and like, I'm going to go after this or like, I'm going to really start building my own, my own way here. Uh, yeah. I think just like growing up and finally starting to have a bit of freedom, you know, and a bit of my own responsibility. And, and also I have two brothers um, and I am the middle child and the only girl. So however bad you think it was, it was worse. Wow. Like, <laughs> yeah. so I did not have freedom. I didn't have, I wasn't allowed to do things, you know. And, you know, that's bad enough without like, like I said, going to a very white school and having all white friends. And I couldn't do a lot of the stuff that my friends did. Um, but yeah, like I said, my mum my sort of enabled me to do a lot of that stuff. And, you know, she like, she'd tell my dad that I was staying at a friend's house and I wasn't, I was like fucking drunk in a field somewhere at four in the morning, drinking <laughs> bottles of cider, um, <laughs> you know, just stuff that teenagers do. Um, right, yeah. But um, I think once I left home, I left home when I was 18, went to university and sort of got a little taste of, of what that freedom is. And, you know, I, I think, if you if you don't um if you don't impose such strict rules and regulations on your kids then they have nothing to rebel against um but I had a whole lot to rebel against and yeah I went kind of insane for a bit but <laughs> which I think you know a lot of people do um but that was like really the point I think where I started to actually develop my own sense of self and my own sort of pe like personality really i think what did you find you know what are the tenets of your moral and philosophical beliefs now that kind of shape the core of who you are you know is there anything that you absolutely believe in now that you mm. will not compromise on I, I would imagine aside from like i totally stand up against bigotry oppression mm. racism sexism but on a personal level what forms the tenets of your 
philosophical and moral beliefs now. What did you and what did you find along that journey? Like, was there a specific religious or philosophical figure or faith or anything that you were like, okay, this is speaking to me and that you've incorporated now? Um, I think, yeah, just don't like, just don't be a cunt. I think really <laughs> is what it all boils down it's simple, to, folks. To um, which is very simplistic, you know, I'm aware. Um, but doesn't make it but wrong. I feel like that, yeah, well, I feel like that covers a lot of ground, you know, that covers a lot of bases. Um, in, in anything that you do in life, just try not to be shitty. And the thing is, we are human beings and we do bad things sometimes, you know. We, we don't always make the best decisions and the best choices. And I certainly haven't. I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life. But if you can look back at those bad decisions and you are sort of cognizant of the fact that they are bad decisions, then you're not a bad person, I think. If you look back at those things and think, yeah, that was great, I was right, then maybe you haven't learned from it and maybe you haven't grown as much as you thought, you know? Um, But I think if if you have the self-awareness to to know that you've done bad things and that those things were wrong and you've sort of learned and grown from it, then that's a really, really powerful tool and that enables you to to maybe not do those things again, you know, because you have to learn from your mistakes. And, you know, as long as you go I feel like if you go through life just with good intentions um then that can do a lot for you you know I don't I don't there isn't really like a a sort of spiritual figure or you know that sort of thing that I really sort of look to rather what I have learned over the years I think um having such a like an upbringing that sort of shaped my views on religion and spirituality so powerfully and not in a positive way right you know I distanced myself from both of those things for for a really long time and and I think now at this point in my life you know I'm 31 um I look at things in a way that is like the power it's more about the your own power and the power of the self and I think one of the most spiritual things you can do is look after yourself and to try and try and be a good person. Yeah. That's powerful to hear you say that. Is there any, I know you said there's no specific like figure, but is Mm. there any, is there any person whose words who may speak to who, who kind of talks about the power of the self, maybe that you've discovered in recent, you know, in, in recent years or months, has anybody's words kind of been resonating with you that you can think of? If not, that's totally fine. I'm just curious if there's anybody in particular that you're like, okay, this is jiving with my I, my beliefs about the self. Um, Dolly Parton. Hell yeah. <laughs> Great answer. That's an S tier answer. Dolly Parton. Everyone loves Dolly and I rightfully so. Rightfully so. I think if you don't like Dolly, you don't even have to like her music. Um, She's just an example of like what, what I don't obviously I don't know her personally <laughs> um but a good example of what like being a being a selfless person looks like I think yeah. a lot of the time she's a very and, fully actualized person a very fully actualized yeah version of her of of herself 100% I feel like she's one of those rare people that you look at and you can just and you just think wow like she really knows who she is 100% but you know or, you know in a slightly more serious way not really no um and I think the fact that I have never really sort of looked up to anyone spiritually um and not really had anyone 
to guide me really I think is is responsible for me coming to that realization and and that's why I feel that way I think about about you having to look after yourself and a lot of the time put yourself first and that maybe if I had certain spiritual guidance I maybe wouldn't feel as strongly that way but it's the fact that I didn't I think that has shaped that belief for me yeah you know I I want to touch on that but I'm curious before I I get to that point obviously it was a a a horrific kind of toxic environment you know with your Mm. with everything that happened that you explained with your father but I, I know so little about Islam and about, you know, Mm. the tenets of Islam. But I'm curious, was there anything at all, at least that looking back in hindsight, at least maybe that you think about the, the, the Islamic faith that you're like, this is something, if it was taught in the way that it was like, you know, it's kind of like how there are teachings in the Bible that, yeah, this is actually a really good idea. If humans weren't so fucking idiotic and didn't like twist it to their own, their own devices, this is actually a very beautiful kind of like teaching is there anything yeah. that you can remember in in islam that is that to you that is like okay this is actually a really beautiful kind of like tenet for living if it wasn't twisted by people that you can tell me about them because i'm just more i'm just curious if not again it's totally fine i just don't know a lot yeah. about it and you grew up yeah kind of for sure closer to it yes definitely and i was i was kind of hoping you'd lead on to a question like this because I think it's really important for me to state as well at this point that I am a defender of Islam and I don't hate Islam at all. Of course. Like, even though I had that upbringing, I'm not, you know, it's taken me a, a long time to get to this point. But now, in in <laughs> and it's not just in the way of like, you know, when someone insults one of your siblings and you're like, you can't do that, but I can. Right, like, right, right. Yeah. I almost feel like there's a knee-jerk reaction because I was brought up in it to be like, fuck you, you can't say that. Um, But also having learned over the years actually more of what what Islam is about and being able to look out, look at at the religion um, from an outsider perspective, once I fully allowed myself to be outside of it, you know, because for a long time I felt like I had to pretend especially around family and that really didn't feel right um and being being able to have the like autonomy to look at it from an outside perspective and 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 learn about it you know properly not just the things that were forced on me and the things that were imposed on me because a lot of the things that were imposed on me as a child and as a teenager were not necessarily islam they they were very much toxic ideas from a very oppressed country, a country that was very oppressed a lot of the time. And that is the thing that really upsets me a lot of the time about people taking certain religions out of context. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a religious person really, but I'm not a hater of religion. I truly believe that there is good and bad. Um, But a lot of it has to be taken in the right context, socially, societally, you know, uh, politically. Um, And a, a lot of the things that traumatized me about my upbringing were were not necessarily things that were directly rooted in Islam. It was it's the culture. Do you know what I mean? It's it was politically inter- it was politically interpreted and through a certain lens based on you know economic political. Yeah, like you said, there's there's so many different contexts that go into the way a country or even any individual person will you know filter religion through a certain lens. Absolutely, yeah, and I I feel like that's an important thing to 
to bear in mind a lot of the time when talking about any religion, but particularly a religion like Islam that, you know, has gotten so much sort of uh, slack from from a lot of people about um, about its treatment of women and LGBTQ people, um, etc. You know, and yeah. yeah, there there are there are a lot of Muslim people that you know are not good people in regards to those things and countries and governments. You know, but a lot of that is political and cultural, and it's not in the Quran. You know, yeah. um, it's it it blows my mind because you know, to answer, to actually answer your question a bit more. Um, <laughs> no, this is great. I, I mean, I love all the added context. It's amazing. I, yeah, I go off on a tangent all the time. Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, That's what the show's about. So you do, you go <laughs> as many tangents as you want. Yeah. Just in, in, in Islam, you know, women are first, women are revered. Women are the most important, you know, hmm. and wow. it's amazing. It is. And, the the respect for women and the and uh you know one of the things i i was always taught was to have respect for women and to respect family and you know your like mothers are like the most important people do you know what i mean in yeah. islam like yeah. you, and it's taken so far out of context by a lot of people and and Muslims, do you know what I mean? And like yeah. the treatment of women in some countries is absolutely horrific. Look at Iran. Like I, it upsets me greatly. It upsets me a lot. But if you go and read the Quran, it's, it would blow your mind for someone, for someone who doesn't know anything about the religion and, and has a certain idea of what the religion is just because of media, just through media Right. to go and read the Quran. You'd, it would blow your mind. Like, yeah, it's, it's, really crazy that yeah. you know like any religion over thousands of years things have changed and things have sort of um progressed in a way that um isn't isn't necessarily what the original intention of the message was yeah and i one of these you know in the future i do want to i do want to read it for myself because i 100 percent think that that it's going to happen i'm going to read it and, and resonate with everything that you're saying and you know i love that we're speaking going back to what you said before that question about, you know, your own divinity, your own power, you know, and mm -hmm. you, you've, you spoke about in other interviews about they fear us, uh, the divin the divinity of, of, of femininity, your own divinity, you know, yeah. we, we talked a little bit about the process that it took for you to kind of come to this realization, but what are the strategies you use? Strategies might be the wrong word, but what, how do you hold that in your own heart and soul and in your conscious mind as much as possible? And how, how could you, how would you pass that on to other people who are, who, who I would, because I would imagine that having that sense about yourself is so liberating and freeing. And so many people are probably looking for that and yearning for that. And they, they, they yeah. want kind of ways to kind of, how can I kind of hold that within myself in a world where I'm being bombarded from all directions, especially for, for women by so much, you know, hatred and, you know, and, and oppressiveness and, shitty societal bullshit i don't even know if there's a specific term there probably is i'm just not thinking of it right now that's probably a good way to put it <laughs> yeah but how can you how do you hold that within yourself and keep that in your conscious mind and how can you how would you tell other people to to kind of have that i mean i know it's going to be different for everybody but mm. are there things that helped you definitely yeah um i don't know what i will say is is it's not easy it's it's been a really difficult path for me um and it's been a really long road and 
it's not to say that, oh, I was, you know, a really damaged person and now I'm great now and I think I'm amazing and all of this kind of stuff because right. that is not the case at all. It's, I think healing in any aspect is lifelong work, you know, and it never ends. It's something that you have to try and work on every day in a different way. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, talk, you know, us talking about, my my childhood and my upbringing and that caused a ripple effect of a lot of issues going into my young adult life and I I feel I think I always saw myself as this sort of victim character you know and I was in a lot of ways a victim and I was a victim to circumstance and I was a victim to certain people and a victim to a lot of the bad things that happened to me as a child, as a teenager, and in my adult life, you know. But this is particularly for me, one of the main things that They Fear Us, the album is about, is there wasn't a certain point where I stopped and thought, I'm gonna stop being a victim now because that's not how it works. And I don't use the word victim in like a derogatory way, in a way that people are like, oh, you're just being a victim. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, I, that word is, can be a very loaded word now and be used in a derogatory way but I I use it in I want to use it in a compassionate way because that is how I felt about myself um but it was sort of slowly once I decided that that was not the narrative that I wanted for my life anymore and there wasn't a big epiphany there wasn't like a big oh moment like it was just slowly coming to terms with the fact that like I I don't want to be a victim anymore. I don't want to be a victim to circumstance anymore. And um, I think quite selfishly, a huge part of it was really just deciding to put myself first for once. I've been such a people pleaser my whole entire life. You know, yeah. everything I do is for other people and to make other people happy. And I've spent so long putting all of, focusing all of my love and my energy and my good intentions into other people to try and fix them and to try and help them and to try and get them to stay to not leave me you know which yeah. is so sad uh, to a point where I, I never had anything left for myself so when bad things did happen and when people did leave me or you know whatever bad thing happens in life I didn't have the skills I didn't have the energy I didn't have the love I had nothing left for myself and I really sort of realized that that needed to stop and that I need to give myself that first it's that whole like only if your cup is overflowing you know give it to someone else sort of thing I, right. I never had a full cup ever mine was always empty because I was always filling other people's cups first and when we were writing this album it really was just like our our first full-length album the language of injury was very I feel like it reflects that in a lot of ways um you can really hear how how desperately sad that record is I think mm. and even particularly in the lyrics as well just how much self-loathing there is so much self-loathing like I fucking hated myself and I blamed myself for absolutely everything and it truly was I'm a worm, I'm pathetic, and I'm the reason that bad things happen to me, you know? Mm. And then when we came to write They Fear Us, all of that 
anger um, and self-loathing, just I, I just turned it outwards, you know, because I had done a lot of thinking and a, and some healing, I think, and a lot of work on myself and and realised that actually there are other people that are responsible for this. Um, and it's not just me. I'm not a bad person. And may, actually, maybe I don't deserve a lot of that. Maybe Maybe it's not my fault. I think sometimes you can go, some people go too far in the other direction and they blame everyone else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, when right. maybe some of it is their fault, but um, I was the complete opposite. I, I took responsibility for everything. Um, and it was really realizing that like, wow, I, I can see things as they actually happened now. Like I have clarity, mental clarity, to see the things that have happened in my life as they actually happened, not how I was made to feel that they happened, you know, like it's right. your fault being told it's your fault all the time. And I was able to look back and be like, actually that wasn't my fault. Yeah. And a lot of the, a lot of they fear us is about like a revenge, really. <laughs> it's a lot of it, you know, a lot of the album is about growth and healing and all of that beautiful stuff. But you know, particularly if you listen to the album, the, the first half of the album is getting that anger out and like directing that self-loathing outwards for once and directing that anger outwards and just being like, no, 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 I, I, I understand now. Like this was you. Like just be having the space to be angry at people, whether it's a particular person or society or the government, people who would, people who want to dim your light to have space to to actually be angry about it, particularly as a woman, you know, instead of being told to shut the fuck up and calm down all the time, it, to have an outlet where you can really just be like, "Yep, yeah, I'm I'm really mad." Yeah. Sorry, I don't know if any of that made sense. No, no, rambling. No, yeah. no, it, it all made it all made complete sense. And I mean, you saying that, do you think, you know, everybody's kind of chasing, you know, this kind of the, the everybody is chasing a certain degree of spiritual internal fulfillment and kind of again reaching this point again not just saying that's easy and it's just like oh i'm there and i'm done like like you said yeah. it's a constant battle and a struggle but do you think i'm assuming i'm going to know the answer to this but uh do you think women people of color people in the lgbtq community have a harder time getting to and walking the path to this realization because throughout history the world has kind of stripped them of both external power like literally like holding positions of power um, and degraded any notions they had of themselves of internal power. Of course, yeah. I mean, it's undeniable. To to deny that would, wouldn't just be silly, but it would be categorically wrong, you know. Um, I can only speak on my experiences, obviously, and yeah. I am a, you know, I'm white. So, <laughs> like, I'm Algerian, but I'm white, you know, so that the, the, the I have all the privileges that come with that, but I am a woman. And I'm a queer woman as well. And it's just like, you you have to take your, I feel like you have to take your own experiences and and apply that mm -hmm. in order to have some sort of understanding. Um, yeah, when you're, for whatever reason, when you're taught from a young age that you're less than, it has a huge impact on how you see yourself and, and how you see other people. And even to people that you know men or you know white people whatever like people who have like who hold privilege 
over other groups of people will have been brought up internalizing these messages that they are better than other people and it's you know we're all working towards equality but it is such a complex issue I think it's really hard it's a really hard thing to unpack and you know I try and and do as much work as I can to like unpack prejudices and biases that I have and it's it's hard it's really difficult to confront those things sometimes um particularly when you have like your own your own sort of experiences with with it as well but then if you do I feel like if you do have your own experiences with prejudice then that should make you open to you have those sympathies do you know what I mean yeah I don't know yeah it's it's difficult yeah, it's it's very it is very one of the th- questions I constantly not even a question, but just a concept that I constantly kind of reckon with myself with is how to or n- not even how to, but just the 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 way that a, a, a sweeping kind of and I've talked about this on other podcasts. I'm sure you've you've heard just like sweeping moral and spiritual change in people is it's inextricably tied to the terrestrial life we live, the societal political mm. life that we we just how how systems and structures exist on our planet earth and how those two things seem kind of irreconcilable but they're not it's basically just i it's it's i i really believe that if we you know if people took the time to kind of examine themselves more and like reassess our our morality and our our, our priorities mm-hmm. morally things would change but that's so hard when there's such entrenched societal and political systems i think that's kind of probably the easier way to to say what I'm trying, what I'm thinking is like, it's so difficult Absolutely. to get, it's so difficult to get to a, a place of moral change without changing the very tangible things of our world, like tangible facets of existence and like uh, things that allow people to exist in a certain way or systems that are put in place to that don't let people exist in a certain way, which is the, the, the bigger problem. I think that's why we talk about systemic racism and systemic sexism and stuff like that because they are rooted in the very systems that that make up our modern lives and it's all well and good doing things on a grassroots level but you can only get to a certain point with that you know and I think that is a lot of the frustration for people that yeah okay you can surround yourself with good people and make sure that none of your friends are racist that's great but but we're never going to see real change that in that way you know? Yeah. And it, all these systems came out of a warped sense of someone's morality, whether, you know, again, yeah. ca- caused by, you know, in, through an interpretation of religion or through, you know, a desire to control. And that was, you know, in someone's moral mind or some group of people's moral mind at some point in history, that was like, you know, a pause. They didn't see any problem with that morally, like dominating other people or forcing domination on other people mm. in, in some way, shape or form. And that just, that's what troubles me the most is like that these, these go back so far and we still are dealing with I mean, this is nothing new. I'm not saying anything that anybody hasn't been saying for <laughs> for so long. It just, you know, through the lens of me starting this podcast and talking with so many musicians and kind of confronting a lot of things myself. I mean, this has been just as transformative of, of an experience for me, you know, to to talk with people and to to go through this and to think about things that I haven't thought about, you know, even beyond philosophically and spiritually, but, you know, crossing over into political and societal worlds, you know, not that I haven't thought about these things, but, you know, having a dialogue about them with many people is kind of, you know, opened myself up and forced me to kind of 
ask myself a lot of questions and feel, feel <laughs> hopeless sometimes. Like I don't feel like there's much I can do sometimes, but then kind of pick myself up and feel like, well, you know, I hope that through doing this, that it just at least brings awareness and, and opens people's minds up to, to things and, and, and opens people up to new ways of thinking, you know, if, if they hold a certain way of thinking about people, then maybe this will help change the way that they think about people in a certain way. And that's something good, perhaps, you know, spoiler alert for anybody who's listened to the podcast, there's an Alan Watts warning coming up because I'm a big Alan Watts fan, but you know, I've been listening to his lectures a ton. He's kind of evolved. He's kind of evolved for me as one of my, the biggest guiding spiritual forces in my life and how I want to observe and view the world. And, you know, he says that deep, deep down and far in, you know, we realize that we are the fabric and structure of existence and self, which is when you're talking about divinity and realizing that everyone is to a certain degree, you know, it makes us all God, not in a politically kingly sense, as he says, but, or in a sense that we lord power over people or everyone else, but in the sense that each of our own existence is absolutely fundamental. And it all comes from getting for all of us, every single person on the planet, getting to this point of recognizing that. And I think when you, if, if we were to get to this point, this is like a pipe dream, but I think what he's saying is if we were all to get to that point, things would kind of follow naturally and be like, oh my God, like what I'm doing is impacting this person on the other side of the planet or what I'm doing is impacting yeah. this person that I've been, that's been being hurt by these systems, by these structures. You know, uh, what I do because I am inextricably connected to everyone and we are all the fabric of existence, like it impacts everyone. And it's, it's my responsibility to fix things. And it's your response. It's everything and everyone's responsibility. You know, it's a, it's a, yeah. a it's a nature, you would say nature, but universe centric focus at that point, but it comes, it all starts with kind of coming to this realization, but it's so difficult. And he, you know, he, I think that he was operating from the assumption that most of us would never come to realize that fact that he was going around trying to help people kind of realize that fact. Do you believe that? Do you believe that notion? Do you think that if every person could come to that realization that a lot of sweeping moral and societal change would come from kind of a mass realization like that? Definitely, yeah. Um, it's funny because, you know, I just said that, like, it's, it's you know, it's hard to fight against systemic issues of prejudice and stuff like that. Uh, you know, doing it on a grassroots level, you can only get so far, but but that's not to say that people shouldn't think about uh what they do and how that impacts other people you know and I think I think it's very hard particularly in the age that we live in now um like with technology and 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 everything that comes with it um we as people now I think are just programmed to to not think about ourselves and we crave distraction from from the self I think I do I am like queen doom scroller god almighty and... are you was the, I'm gonna quote you on that that's an epitaph <laughs> right there craving <laughs> craving distraction from the self yeah I th and, and and I do that I do that you know because sometimes life is so shit sometimes life is shit I think that's that's it. Life fucking sucks sometimes. And we don't want to examine ourselves. And we don't want to think about how what we do impacts other people. And, and we don't want to think about our relationships. And we right. just want to not feel shit. We just want to not feel bad. 
and to do that work like none of that is comfortable examining yourself is not comfortable yeah ironically i i'm sorry to sorry to interject i'm just thinking Mm. kind of of what you're thinking just building off of it ironically i think when people think that they are escaping from themselves i think it it almost can become a very egocentric thing to do whereas like confronting yourself is kind of confronting your own ego like it seems like a you know when you when you word it out it seems like the opposite of that like you are working on yourself you are confronting yourself you're doing this for yourself that for yourself acknowledge like you're like you're talking about acknowledging your own divine strength like your own self like working from the inside out like it seems very egocentric but in a way it's kind of like the you're it's countering that you're countering your own ego you're kind of like battling against mm-hmm. the ego where a lot of these structures and things we're talking about are driven out of the ego out of people's egos for sure and that really is, I think, at the heart of it for me personally. I I want to work on myself because I know that if I'm a better person, then the people around me will benefit. And it's not because I think it's not, I don't want it to be a selfish thing. You know, me saying that I need to put myself first and I need to focus on myself, you know, isn't because I believe that I'm better or that I deserve more love and more attention no I think I'm a fucking garbage person but that's why I'm doing it because I want to be a better person for the people that I love and for other people and I think you can only do that if you put yourself first which like you say sounds counterintuitive but it's that is how I think that is very very important like I think that is at the heart of how you do it you know um you can't expect to be a good person to other people and to treat people with love and respect if you don't, if you're not doing that internal work. And and also if you're not being kind to yourself, you know, you have to be kind to yourself. Um, Hard to love others, ne- right? If you don't love yourself. Yeah. I mean, God, that, see, that's, 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 cliche, I, that's very cliche. <laughs> yeah. That, that whole cliche, I, I don't, necessarily buy into because I think you can love other people if you don't love yourself but you will never experience any sort of fulfillment you know if you if you don't at least try maybe you reach a new depth of love maybe that's a better way to kind of like to get there is like once you love yourself you can love others with a new depth absolutely I think when when you are sort of at, not even at your best really because I don't even know what my best is I don't think my best even my best is very yeah, good maybe just um, your, most authentic, <laughs> your most authentic absolutely yeah and that that is so much better yeah that's right I think that's right absolutely for sure yeah like being authentic trying to be authentic having the atten- intention to be authentic um and to be to be honest I think doesn't necessarily mean being happy all the time or being cheerful or whatever. Like it is about being honest with yourself. And when you're being honest with yourself, I think then you can be honest with other people. The the last, you know, the last song on the record, Hold Be Held, you say there is compassion here. Can you think of a moment in your life? Because I like to get into the practicality of things where you showed compassion, maybe in a moment where you wouldn't have before a lot of the transformative experiences of your life were maybe, and after the fact, when you did, you know that you had made an impact and you had changed someone, maybe not even changed a life, but changed someone in that moment or like left a positive impression on someone or did something good for someone. Wow. Um, God, yeah. Oh, what a difficult question. 
I I think for me it's the little things you know and I don't think that there are any huge standout moments of like yeah like huge realization and like oh I did such a kind thing for someone or I did such an amazing thing like there aren't many of those in my life I think even now you know after having all of this discussion but like there is a part of me that fundamentally does not believe that I'm a good person and I don't think that will ever change I don't think I will ever let go of that but it's the fact that I'm trying I think is is what's important it's I think if I if I look back on if I reflect on my daily life um there isn't one huge thing but it's the way that I handle things in daily life with compassion where whereas before I maybe wouldn't have and it's the way that I interact with people and it's the times that I give people grace and give people space and give people compassion in in a way that I maybe wouldn't have done before that really sort of enables me to not say I've changed someone else but to look at myself and say I've changed myself and I think that's a really big thing for me I think that's a really big thing for me because I had you know I had so many issues emotionally I've had so many issues emotionally throughout my whole life and like I was saying before um I was very quick to to judge people and myself and I like I like I said I think the the person that I always gave the least amount of compassion to was myself and I'd never known what it was like to be kind to myself never shown myself any kindness because I truly didn't believe that I deserved it I didn't think that I deserved any of that. And on days where I do show up for myself, that really stands out to me. And then again, like I was saying, it means that I can then show up for other people. Absolutely. Do you have methods you use or a strategy to stop yourself and reflect? Like if you catch yourself in a moment where you are, you're going through one of those hard cycles where it's hard to kind of remember the divinity of yourself and your own power. Mm. And when you catch yourself, maybe talking negatively about yourself or thinking negatively or even about other people, or like you're about to cast a judgment or about to you do anything that is antithetical to like what you, to what I know you believe in and what you know you believe in. Are there things that you do to like, wait a minute, stop? Yeah. I mean, I need to reflect it, ha- it happens every day. Do you know what I mean? Like those like intrusive thoughts and like when you deal with stuff like that, particularly if you deal with mental health issues you know um that stuff happens every day some days are better than others I I don't have like a quick fix to be like well I just do this exercise mental exercise and then suddenly I feel better but I do try and allow myself to kind of god it sounds like so cliched but like to feel those feelings and when I say that I don't mean uh to sit like if I'm feeling sad to sit and be like okay well I'm feeling sad now it's more just to be able to identify the what I'm feeling and why I'm feeling that way and and also how it actually is making me feel physically because you know I I've gone through a lot of traumatic shit in my life and I have a lot of uh you know trauma a lot of weight, a lot of weight to carry absolutely yeah and 
I've done all of the therapy that you can think of. Do you know what I mean? And some of that was useful and some of it wasn't. A lot of it was not useful, actually. Uh, everyone is different and everyone deals with things in a different way. Um, but I've always found it really hard to to ground myself. And I feel feel like that is one of the things that actually does help me to just be able to sit and say, you know, I'm feeling anxious and it's making me feel sick and it's making me feel nauseous. And a lot of the time, if I treat the physical symptom, then it helps. Like, what can I, I what can I do to feel less like I'm about to yeah. fucking hurl? Like, OK, <laughs> yeah. well, I'll go and stand on my balcony and get some fresh air or, you know, do do something like that. Again, it doesn't always work. Sometimes for me, the solution is to just sit in, you know, allow my rotting corpse to lay in bed for a couple of hours and feel sorry for myself or feel shit about myself but you can't yeah I just think you need to allow yourself the grace to actually feel how you're feeling and like you were talking about that Pixar movie like (laughs) you can't you can't feign happiness in the hopes that it will come true you know you have to allow yourself to feel things it sounds like what you're also saying is sometimes it's just important to just identify, identify that you are anxious because that can provide a maybe a sense of clarity and relief all its own. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes I think in my own life, speaking of my own experiences, I'm just like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Like, why am I feeling this way? There is nothing. It's like, there's nothing going on around me externally mm. that should be making me feel the way I'm feeling. Even if it is dark or like something like, like everything's going great. Like why, what is happening. But the fact that you can take a second and identify like, okay, like this is something you struggle with or like, this is what's going on. Like that can provide almost a sense of clarity and like a sense of groundedness Mm. on its own. Absolutely. And I don't always think that there has to be a reason behind it. Like, you know, that is just how our fucking little spongy, squishy little brains work sometimes (laughs) or don't work as it were. Um, There isn't always a reason for feeling a certain way, you know? Um, But, I, I feel like yeah the important thing is to not brush it off feel. just be- yeah like don't like not dismissing it because there isn't a logical explanation for it like I'm feeling really anxious right now and I can't identify a reason for it maybe the reason is just that that is how I feel right now and that is what my brain is doing and allow yourself to to just feel it don't search for rationale for people listening whether they're fans of Ithaca or not what would be the number one thing you would tell to to someone listening to help them just be kinder or to 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 make things better for someone else or make the world better for the or for themselves like to be kinder to themselves and others ah wow I think I I just tell them the things that I wish had been told to me you know um that yeah life can be very shit and it can be very dark at times um and bad things can happen and you might not always feel like you want to be here uh and you might not always feel like there is a place for you but um there is there is there is a place for everyone and there is a place for you and I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and be like <laughs> it gets better because a lot of the time it doesn't a lot of the time it just gets worse um but I want I really really like you were saying before I really want people to just realize how important they are because it's so easy to feel like you're inconsequential especially now like 
it's so easy to feel like that you are unimportant and that you're not making an impact but but everyone everyone is important and everyone is making an impact in in large ways and in small ways and in really subtle ways um and I just want people to know that it's yeah it's okay to feel those feelings and yeah I don't know I'm like I feel like I should be coming up with a really insightful inspiring inspiring thing here but like you're you're saying that people should know their existence is fundamental absolutely I guess I guess yeah 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 I everyone you know everyone is a spark like in that big fire and yeah and we need we need everyone you know i'll just end with this uh, i loved this quote i heard this the other day alan watts was talking about how people think that we come into this world and by by having that notion that societal notion of we, you are brought into the world we feel separate from it we feel we are strangers in the world we feel separate from everything that happens but he says you don't come into the world you come out of it meaning like you wow. are you are you are not you are never separate from all of existence you are never separate from the world and all the beauty that it has to offer like you are you're basically like a fruit on a tree or a flower blooming from the ground like you don't come into the world you are not a stranger here you are you come out of it you know you're tied to it so your existence absolutely is fundamental you are the fabric of existence itself mm-hmm. so, exactly that's I'll end it. with that. And so, well, Jamila, that brings us to our final two segments of the show. So first up is <laughs> Tomes of Wisdom. I know I kind of, I ended on a profound thought. We're diving into something, well, this is profound too. This is the section where each guest recommends us three pieces of media that have inspired them philosophically or spiritually in the last year. So this can be books, films, games, comics, anything that's made you think about your own life or life in the world in a different way. So Jamila, what are three pieces of media that you've consumed that you would recommend for us to digest? I don't know if this is a bit of a cop-out answer, but like, firstly, uh, going with music, um, I don't know if it was, was it your last episode that you had Carson with you? That um, was two episodes ago, but you're was that pretty two much episodes right, ago? right there. Carson's Carson's a good friend of mine. Um, but um, shout out to Carson. Yeah, shout out to Carson, an absolute sweet angel. Um, that Cowboys Starboys record, Celebrity Therapist, just did things to my brain. That Fucking cool. I right? yeah, did things to my brain that I didn't think were even possible. And actually, like, if you haven't listened to that episode, go go back and listen to it because. Aww yeah it's so insightful and like if you like that callous Dowboys record particularly go and listen to it because hearing Carson talk about like you know how his upbringing as well and his family and and that sort of thing you know impacted the writing of that record is really really essential listening I think um and listening to that episode of the podcast blew my mind as well because I you know you think you know like what all the themes of a record are just from listening to them but hearing the person who wrote it talk about it is a completely different thing Damn, I wasn't expecting um, to sit here see hear you blow smoke up my ass but I mean I'm not I'm <laughs> I am not going to turn it down thank you very much that's very generous for sure so it's that two pieces of media the Callous Dowboys album and your podcast that's, that's two true pieces of media right but absolutely the record first and then you can listen to my podcast <laughs> And then I'm going to give you a, a video game. Hell yeah. Um, You're the, you might be the first, one of the first video game 
suggesters on the on the podcast. That's so. it. Okay. Um, there's a. I'm pretty sure it's 2022. Uh, a game called Cult of the Lamb, which Cult I don't know of, if you've heard Cult of. Cult of the Lamb. Yeah. Okay. Um, I am and, unfamiliar. Ah, oh, it's amazing. It's absolutely incredible, and it is a. You know, not spoilers or anything, but it's a game where you are a lamb and <laughs> you start your own cult, basically. And you have to do all of this stuff to gain followers and uh, you do sermons and, and then you uh, all of your followers are like little different animals. It's very uh-huh. cutesy. Yeah, it's super cutesy, but also incredibly violent. Like it's like the perfect intersection. If you like that stuff, it's perfect. Yeah. Um, and you you do different things to like gain your followers like adoration and loves, whether that's like being nice to them or if it's like brutally sacrificing some of them. And oh my god. Um there's lots of stuff. There's like a another plot with like dungeons and stuff. It's very, very, very cool. And the people, it turns out, I didn't know this until recently. Because um, I play it on Nintendo Switch um, and the game was being a bit buggy. So I like (laughs) tweeted about it and was like, fuck this game. Fucking this is so buggy. Fuck you. And all this kind of stuff. Like, I love this game, but I'm taking it back. You fucking assholes. Like, just because I was super frustrated that I had to keep rebooting my Switch because this game kept crashing. Um, And... The, the the game studio like the people who oh made god. the game it turns out are fans of my band oh my god that's <laughs> they amazing replied. they replied and they were like we're so sorry we've got a bug fix coming oh my out, god yes Jamila, we'll fix it right away no but they were like uh yeah we're really sorry to hear this by the way we love seeing you at arc tangent festival this year and i was like oh i god. am so embarrassed like i'm mortified because that's cool as hell i am you know, like I, at heart, I am a shit poster, and a lot of people know that if you follow me on Twitter. Yeah, your Twitter I account should be it. like one of the things that people should check out on this list. It's a separate. <laughs> I'm, I'm putting it out there as a separate <laughs> addition. You need to follow her on Twitter. A plus follow. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I need any more encouragement. Um, <laughs> I would say, I would say my Twitter is like fifty percent saying dumb shit and fifty percent like my slow decline in mental health. Just like witnessing my mental breakdown in real time but anyway this game is it came to mind because you know we've been talking about like religion and spirituality and stuff and then sort of hearkening back to to Carson's episode talking about cults and 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 stuff like that and QAnon and shit like that um this game is just perfect it's not serious it's not super serious but if you are into those themes of like cults and religion and monsters but also really cutesy graphics and stuff like that that like because I do a lot of um I do a lot of cozy gaming which is like you know I like intense games but I I game mostly for relaxation because I need to give my yeah I need to give myself some space right so it, it has enough combat in it to be like sort of mentally stimulating right. but also a lot of like it also has a lot of that like uh 
sort of you you when you build your cult like you get to furnish it and build your town it has that like very like animal crossing animal crossing of, yeah i was thinking yeah that. yeah kind of thing to it um so you get to build it's like a it's like a yeah violent animal crossing <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know we needed that in the world but i don't now that i hearing it i don't think we needed anything more i, I think yeah. we absolutely need that <laughs> it's by animal crossing for goths um so yeah just oh, jump man. on that game you slap that on the so box good. art that would have been so that would have like done wonders for the to have that game sell animal crossing for honestly yeah i guarantee you if you just like look the game up online like and you see like the cover of the game and stuff that's like that's what sold me on it i didn't know anything about the game before i played it as well i just kept seeing like the the cover art online and was like this game looks fucking sick like i don't even care if it's bad i'm gonna download it i'm so glad i did because it's it's a lot of entertainment and a lot of fun and um yeah it's like i don't know i feel like a lot of people who are into uh you know metal or like hardcore or like that kind of music like if you want a cozy game that's like relaxing but is also bleak then that's the one for you i think uh, and that yeah it was 2022 all right. Awesome. Love it. Love it. And finally, this is the segment that I like to call the chaser. So in the chaser, we ask the same 10 rapid fire questions for each guest. And we ask oh, that they keep their okay. answer to 30 seconds or less. Are you ready, Jamila? Although, again, I'm not a stickler on this. So if it goes longer, then it's OK. <laughs> oh, I'm never ready. I'm never ready. But um, yeah, just uh, rip the bandaid off. Let's do it. OK. Do you believe in fate or free will and why? Uh, you know, oh, shit. OK. Um, sometimes <laughs> I believe in fate. Sometimes I don't. I think when I say I do believe in fate, it's when something good has happened and um, that I'm like, oh, it was meant to be. Um, and uh, when I say I don't believe in fate, it's because the thing that I wanted to happen didn't happen. Um, and I'm salty about it. Got it. Um, free will. Yes. One hundred percent. Like Anton LaVey said it best. Like you, you are in control of your own destiny to a certain degree. Not to say that other things don't shape that and impacts that but fundamentally like i said you are your own person and um you're the master of your own reality i think what is a stronger force in the world love or hate and why hate um because uh i feel like god fucking hell what are these questions jesus <laughs> um ah, uh they're both very very powerful um i feel like it's very easy to focus on hate because you see more of it um, in the media around you on TV, on Twitter, on whatever. No one on the news is ever talking about someone who loved someone. It's always about someone getting shanked or someone blowing something up. Um, so to that end, both are very powerful. Um, I think uh, society's appetite for, for death and destruction means that hate is maybe more powerful i don't know i don't know no i take that back next question <laughs> <laughs> who are the three most important spiritual and moral guides in your life and why oh uh my mom um because she taught me everything i know the good and the bad um and she's just an absolute icon of a woman um yeah wouldn't be here without her literally um and second my dog um so cute who, yeah if you follow me on twitter you might have seen her legal name is lulu but we call her the ham um she has taught me more about love 
than I ever thought was possible. And yeah, you know what? It's gross. I'm a dog mom. I don't have kids, whatever. Like, it's fine. I know people have issues with that. Um, no judgment. But she, <laughs> she's the light of my life. And I didn't think it was possible to love anything as much as I love her. So whenever I feel bad or whenever I need some, you know, affection or some love, she's always there. And I absolutely, I would take a bullet for her. And thirdly, uh, just my friends, I think. Just my friends. Uh, It's not one person, but my friends. I feel like you get, you know, your chosen family is just as important, if not more important sometimes than the family that you're born into. And um, I would not be in the position that I am in today without my friends. And that includes my bandmates, who are my best friends. What was the most spiritual place for you where you grew up and why? And this doesn't have to be like a literally spiritual. It can be just a place that had like an energy or a power to it that you can remember. I'm going to say my my parents' living room. Um, because although I have a really complex relationship with my family home, one thing that always sticks with me is that when I was in therapy the first time, uh, I was doing something called trauma-based therapy, which is something you do when you've been through a traumatic experience and you have PTSD. And one of the techniques for grounding yourself is um, my therapist would always say to me, like, you need to think of a safe space. What's your safe space? And the place that always came to mind was my parents' living room with my mum being there and my family being there. Um, and yeah, I think that's the most important place for me spiritually. And if I feel un- if I ever feel unsafe, that's my safe space mentally that's where I put myself and I think that's a really lovely thing what is the most delicious meal you've had in the last month and where was it oh okay so I don't know if it was in the past month but just before Christmas I went to a uh, ramen place in Berlin called Mm. Beyond Ramen and it's like a fully 100% like vegan ramen place and Holy shit, if that wasn't some of the most delicious food I've ever eaten in my entire life. And also, again, really cute dogs in there all the time. So if you're ever in Berlin, you want some delicious vegan ramen, everything in there absolutely slapped. Like, and all the staff were amazing. It was great. When was the last time you felt lost? Every day. (laughs) Every day. Like, spiritually, mentally, physically like (laughs) I I I moved to a new country like this time last year and I get lost regularly like you know I struggle to think about what I would do if it wasn't for like you know we shit on technology all the time but if I didn't have google maps I'd be absolutely fucked I'd be in a ditch by the side of the autobahn by now like I'd be dead so um I get lost a lot physically um I yeah I feel lost all the time I feel lost all the time um and, you know, it, it's not always a really deep feeling of, like, despair. Sometimes it's just a little bit of a, like, huh, where am I? What am I doing? Like, what am I, literally, what am I doing right now? Like, I don't know if it's because I have ADHD. So that is something that happens every day for me, where I literally, I'll be doing something and turn around and have no fucking idea what I'm doing. But there you go. Yep. Can relate. Because as an ADHD person also <laughs> can relate. Uh, do you think the universe bends towards order or towards chaos and why? Ooh, 100% chaos. And I don't know if it's because I myself have been called an agent of chaos many times in my chaos life. Chaos reigns. 
absolutely. I gravitate towards chaos because I just like the way it feels, you know. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, these days a little bit more, trying to have a bit more of a quiet life. Um, but I do miss it. And it doesn't mean that sometimes I don't want uh, chaotic things in my life. Um, I would love to say the former, but unfortunately, I think the universe thrives on chaos and that is where it gets its energy. What is the most important piece of your childhood that you've held on to and why? And this this can either be like a physical thing or an emotional tenet that you've held on to. Uh, I don't think I have any physical things that I've held on to. Um, I'm not that sort of person, really. I think emotionally, the most important thing that I have held on to is to, uh, yeah, if you if you know what it's like to be treated badly, then don't do that to other people. That's it. Just be nice. What is one axiom or quote that centers and calms you in dark times? Oh, uh, God, my mind's gone totally blank. That calms me in dark times. Um, I think a lot of the time, um, yeah, I have to sort of just like say to myself, like, this is, this is fine. <laughs> like, I am <laughs> the dog in the, who, yeah. Yeah, like I, I know it sounds really stupid, but I I panic about everything. I'm a panicker and like I I could be having a really good day and I'll start to panic because I'm having a good day and I'll be like, but why are things so good? And then I'll start to fucking freak out because I'm an idiot. Like I'll just be like, things are too good and I'll start to panic and just be like, something is going to go wrong. Um, And it's just like, just tell yourself that this is fine. Whatever it is, it's fine. Like, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. Like, just, you you will deal with it. It's fine. Just let it happen. <laughs> and to everyone who has ever been touched by your words and music, what do you say? Oh, uh, thank you. And I'm sorry it happened to you, whatever it was. <laughs> Jamila, you have just engaged in psychic warfare. Thank you so much for joining me today. It truly means the world. Thank you so much for having me. Honestly, it's been so insightful and brilliant. And yeah, I'm I'm really glad that we were able to do this. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening to Psychic Warfare. If you like content like this for the rock and metal scene, it would mean a lot to me if you could hit subscribe or follow on your podcast platform of choice. Also, you can follow me at Risk with a K on Twitter, and you can follow the show at Pod on Twitter and Psychic Warfare Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you guys again for all the support, and I will see you in the next episode for another round of Psychic Warfare.